Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're here with us today. I know for the last several months we've been looking at the letter to 1 Corinthians. We're transitioning now and um, going to do something a little bit different this morning before we begin to look more at the life of Jesus and get ready for um, Easter Sunday. And so I want us to begin with a, a text this morning that's, that's familiar to uh, many of us. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 19, 23 through 26, if you want to turn your Bibles there. And I want you to listen to this passage and just pay attention to where your mind goes. So here it is. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, when you hear this story, and I'm sure many of you have heard it before, what do you think about? What stands out to you? You know, for most people, it's this part about the camel going through the eye of a needle. This is what we want to dwell on. This is what we try and just wrap our minds around. What does this mean? Was Jesus being literal when he said this? Am I considered rich? And if so, then, then what is Jesus saying to me through this text? We are drawn to this one image. We worry about it. We obsess over it. It's how we identify this passage. This is the camel and the eye of a needle text. Now I want us to pause a moment and just think about this. And think about what is in this text. Yes, Jesus says it's difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yes, Jesus uses this colorful illustration about a camel and the eye of a needle. But Jesus also says this. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, isn't this the most important statement in the text? Shouldn't we know this passage as the, the, the one about where, where all things are possible with God? And our focus should be on what God can do, not on the, the bit about the camel. And I think we, we don't just do this with this text. We, we do it with other things as well. We live in a time when Christianity is in decline. And churches are closing, and our nation continues to get more secular. And if we're not careful, we can focus all of our attention on what is wrong. We can spend all of our energy staring at the problem and never realize that we possess the solution. And I believe this is where a lot of churches are at. They are overwhelmed by the problems. 
And that's where they're looking. They're looking at the problems. And because of this, those churches are dying. They're looking at the camel and the eye of the needle. And Jesus is saying, with God, all things are possible. So no matter what is happening all around us, no matter what the headlines are, no matter what the experts are saying, we must never forget that that we serve the living God. And he is on his throne. And with him, all things are possible. You know, we sometimes read all these stories in the Old Testament and and, and we look down upon the Israelites um, because we're surprised at how short their memories were. Think about what happens in the book of Exodus. That that God sends these ten plagues upon Egypt. He frees the Hebrew people who were enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. He parts the Red Sea. He he saves the people from the Egyptian army. He then destroys the Egyptian army. And he does all this. And it's only a short time later that the people are complaining and wanting to go back to Egypt. And we read that and we just can't believe it. How could they forget so quickly? And we see it when we read it in our Bibles. We see it when it is black and white. But are we not the same as those people of God that we read about in Exodus? Do we not do what they did? Do we not have short memories as well and we quickly forget what God has done and what God is able to do? Let me explain this. Uh, you know, we, we live in challenging times. Christianity in the West is divided, it's shrinking. We live in a polarized society where, where people view one another as enemies. We recently faced a pandemic that, that has led people to, to leave jobs and question what they want to do in life. We've seen rising depression and suicide rates, especially among teens. We face these problems and more. If we're not careful, the problems can consume us. We can focus all of our time and energy on what is wrong. We can end up looking like Chicken Little who went around proclaiming the sky is falling, the sky is falling. We have not been called to proclaim the sky is falling. We have been called to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Because there is abundant life in Christ. That's our mission. That's who we are. We're not called to focus on the the camel and the eye of the needle. We're called to focus on with God, all things are possible. And we're to share this message with the world. The, the, the times we're living in are challenging. This is something that cannot be denied. But we serve a living God who is at work in our lives and at work in this world, and we must never forget that. With God, all things are possible. And if our eyes are open to this, we will see God at work. If this is our focus, We will remember what God has done. You know, one bit of history that that we often forget is that America has had a history 
of revivals. We assume that, that all people in the past belonged to a church and they regularly attended worship. But that's just not the case. According to Rodney Stark, a longtime professor at Baylor, church membership in 1776 was 17%. And even though church membership now is currently declining, it's much higher than it was in the 1700s. Religion in America is a history of ups and downs. And God has worked in America in some incredible ways. We have experienced revival in every century that America has existed. Revival first appeared in America before it was a nation. The first great awakening began in the mid-1700s, and it spread throughout Britain and the American colonies. Some of the biggest figures of this period were Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, and John Wesley. George Whitfield, pictured here, was the great evangelist who sometimes preached to crowds of thousands of people before there were microphones and before there were sound systems. Revival again appeared in the early 1800s, and the area of focus this time was the American frontier. And this was known as the Second Great Awakening. And it's significant to those of us who are in the Restoration Movement because of what happened at Cane Ridge, Kentucky. And in 1801, this was the site of a large camp meeting where thousands gathered. And even by conservative estimates, as much as 10% of the population of Kentucky was at this meeting at Cane Ridge. Barton Stone, a name that you may be familiar with, was the minister of the church where this revival took place. And he witnessed Christians from all stripes coming together and worshiping and even taking communion together, which was a very rare thing at that time. And here's how he described what happened. He says, The doctrine preached by all was simple and nearly the same. Free and full salvation to every creature was proclaimed. All urged faith in the gospel and obedience to it as the way of life. All appeared deeply impressed with the ruined state of sinners and were anxious for their salvation. The spirit of partyism and party distinctions were apparently forgotten. The spirit of love, peace, and union were revived. You might have seen the various sects engaged in the same spirit, praying, praising, and communing together, and the preachers in the lead. Happy days. What Stone experienced at Cane Ridge and during the Second Great Awakening continued to influence him, and this led to the establishment of many Christian churches and churches of Christ. Well, the First and Second Great Awakenings are the two most famous revivals in America, but they're not the only ones. There have been many revivals across America at various times and places. Last Sunday, a group of us went and watched the movie Jesus Revolution, which is a true story about a revival that happened here in America in the 1970s. And it was officially known as the Jesus Movement, and it was a time when many young people in our country um, kind of unexpectedly began to turn to Jesus. If you're a person who listens to contemporary Christian music, you can thank the Jesus Movement. 
Because before the 1970s, there was no such thing as contemporary Christian music. It was, it was something that came out of this movement. This revival is a great reminder for us today because of how people viewed the world at the time. You might remember these two magazine covers that appeared within six years of one another. And you think back to the 1970s and that people were worried about secularism. They were worried about the direction that this country is going in. And yet God was at work. And, and you could say the same thing about the people of that movement. People in the 1970s were worried about the youth in America. They were worried about hippies and counterculture. And there was a lot of fear as people focused on the problem. And yet, God was at work. And it was those hippies who began to turn to Jesus. And, and the young people that everyone was worried about were the center of this revival. Does any of this sound familiar? We live in a time when people are concerned about secularism. We live in a time when people are worried about young people and the direction of the country. And in recent months, revival has happened. Where did it happen? It began on the campus of Asbury University and it spread from there. And young people are once again turning to Jesus. If we're focused on the camel and the eye of the needle, we may be surprised. But if we know that with God all things are possible, we're not surprised at all. God is the God of revival, and it happens over and over again. It happens in the story of Israel. It happens in the New Testament. It happens in the early church and throughout history. It has happened here in America, and it continues to happen today. And the problem is not with God. It's with us. Where are we looking? What are we focusing on? You know, there are lots of revival passages in the Bible. But I want us to hear one from Ezekiel 37 this morning. And so hear the word of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh 
to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked And behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is not a resurrection text. There are plenty of those in Scripture. This is a revival text. What can God do? He can take bones that are very dry, and make them come to life again. He can pour out his spirit on what is dead and revive it. What is the meaning of this text? It's this. With God, all things are possible. And revival can happen at any time and at any place. But we have to be ready. And we have to be looking And we have to set our minds on God and what God can do and not everything else that is happening in the world. Our focus has to be on God. Revival has happened in our past and it's happening now in our country. And so here's what we need to do to get ready for revival. We need to pray for revival. We need to desire it in our lives and also in the lives of others. The prayer for revival is found throughout Scripture. It's found in the Psalm. Psalm 85 and verse 6 says, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? And revival often begins with prayer. And so we need to be praying for it as a congregation. We need to be praying that revival happens here in LaGrange. We need to be praying that happens in this town, in this county, in this state, in this country. And we must look to God and cry out to him, remembering that with him all things are possible. Next, we need to prepare our hearts for revival. Here is the surprising thing about revival, and I want you to hear this. When it happens, not all people welcome it. When Jesus came, not all people welcomed him. There's a great example of this in the movie, uh, the, The Jesus Revolution. The movie begins with a church that is struggling, a church that is mostly empty. And all of a sudden, people begin to show up. But there's a problem. The problem is that the people who are showing up don't look like the people who are already attending the church there. They don't dress like them. They don't talk like them. They don't act like them. 
And some people would rather go to an empty church than have to accept someone not like them. Some people would rather belong to a dying church than have to accept some sort of change. Jesus never came to a person and said, I want you to stay just as you are. He uprooted traditions. He challenged commonly held beliefs. He tore down walls and barriers. He dined with suspect company. He welcomed outsiders and people on the margins. And if you don't like change, you're not going to like Jesus. Because he asked us to change. He wants to change our lives. He wants to transform our hearts. He wants to renew our minds. And so before revival happens, we need to prepare our hearts for it. We need to get ready for God to stretch us in ways that may be uncomfortable. So we have to get ready for change. And finally, we need to be open to what God is doing. Revival can happen right in front of us, but if we do not have eyes to see, we may miss it. If we're focused on the problem, if we're focused on the the camel and the eye of the needle, and not on God and what God can do and what God is doing, we're going to miss it. Blindness goes beyond what we can see with our eyes. Jesus told stories that some never understood. He performed miracles that some people denied. He met some people who never recognize who he truly is. We can be blind to what is right in front of us if we're not open to what God is doing. And so we must pray. We must prepare our hearts, and we must open our eyes to what God is doing now. I wanted to preach this message today because this idea of revival has been popping up in my life uh, multiple times over the last few months. And I wanted to preach it today because I've seen signs of revival here at this congregation. And there are some people who are just on fire for Jesus. And there are others who are paying attention to what's going on and and they're interested in learning more. Good things are taking place and we need to embrace this. And we need to welcome what God is doing. And so I want to end this morning with this question. How about you? Has revival happened in your life? Have you experienced the renewal of God? Is God working in you? If not, you may need to begin by giving your life to Christ. You may need to put Christ on in baptism and become a child of God today. If you are a child of God and you desire revival, Then begin with prayer. Cry out to God. Ask Him to revive you as we've sung here this morning. 
Prepare your heart and be open to what God can do. Never count yourself out. And don't give up on the world. Don't give up on this generation. Remember what Jesus said. With God, all things are possible. Let's pray. God, we come before your throne this morning. And we are amazed at how you have worked in the world at various times and various places. How there were times when people had little or no hope and you showed up. And you revived your people. And Father, we pray for revival today. We pray for revival in this church. We pray for revival in our lives. We pray for revival in this town and in this state and in this country. Revive us, Lord. And I pray that we would not just pray this this morning, but we would continue this prayer. And that we would prepare ourselves for what you're going to do, God. And that we would open our eyes and to see how you're already working in our lives and the lives of others around us. We're so thankful for Jesus who showed up in our world and began a revival, who pointed people to your ways, to who you truly are. We pray this in his name. Amen.